0: And for this, I left Shanghai!
1: Alright, so this is Cinema Excelsior, where we uh, analyze, dissect, critique the films of Marvel Comics. Uh, Our goal is to understand what makes these films succeed or fail as adaptation, as production, and as art. Uh, I am Stephen Claypool, and joining me today uh, is a, a Cavalcade of Stars! A uh, a round table. The uh, okay. So how am I going to do this today? So I am going to be uh, I am going to be uh, Frank today. Uh, Nick you uh, Nick Bester is the uh, the shake to my Frank. Uh, okay. Yep. Uh, Daniel Watson Jones joining us today. He is the Lady Tanaka to my Frank. And, and, uh, our fourth host, Derek Long, you are the Berkowitz to my Frank, because you're too old for this shit.
2: (laughs) Now, I'd just like to point out, when you said Shake, I thought you meant S-H-E-I-K? I I was like, I don't remember there being a Shake in this, uh, in this movie. I thought he meant Master
3: Shake (laughs) from Teen. Yeah. Uh,
1: (laughs) uh, Okay. (laughs) Um... No, no, don't, don't you remember the, the Shake character? No, no, he no, captured, no I remember. Yeah, he one. captured our hearts. Yeah, no,
3: I, I
2: remember. No.
1: Um, so, yes, today's today's film is the 1989 classic The Punisher, directed by Mark Goldblatt and starring Dolph Lundgren, Lou Gossett, Jr., and I'm going to mispronounce a name here, Jerome Crabby? Jerome Crabby? I would say
3: Crabby. I mm. would say I, I actually tried video. to look for an interview clip of him on YouTube and could not find one uh, where he was just to see his, his
1: name, name being pronounced. You are way more per-
2: prepared for
3: this I than am I am. not am. at all prepared. I did that while watching the movie about an hour ago. I did not get the last four minutes of it.
2: <laughs> okay, right. so uh, again, no
1: one spoiled the surprise ending of The Punisher for Dooge.
3: <laughs> wait, wait. Does everyone get punished?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, only the guilty. Only the oh, guilty okay. get punished. All right. So, yes, this this is the Punisher. This is the first of three adaptations of the Punisher character from Marvel Comics. Um, all of which did terribly at the box. All war. of which yes. did terribly, were terrible, war. and were War's. not connected to one another.
3: Wasn't Warzone, a, was that direct to DVD, or was that... Nope, nope, nope that came out in... the. Okay. Room. it must yep. been limited release or something. Um, have you so, ever seen... No, I think, it, I think it just did poorly enough to yeah. where they, they yanked it out completely of distribution unaware pretty of it. <laughs> well, Exactly, you blinked and missed it. <laughs> the uh, the YouTube-only short, uh, the Punisher, Dirty Laundry, Tom Jane. Right, we will talk about that
1: in several weeks, Okay. or right. months perhaps, when we get to Tom Jane's Punisher. All right. We don't want to jump continuities here. Fair enough.
0: Now, Stefan, I don't, I don't want to jump in front of you here, but are you going to talk about uh, the distribution of, I, of this film? I, no? I am. Okay. So we've
1: got. Uh, All right. We we are going to have an intense, in depth roundtable discussion. But before <laughs> we begin, uh, for the benefit of those at home, The Punisher is available uh, on DVD, and it is available for free on YouTube. And no one is rushing to take it down. Um, you can watch it if you'd like. Whether or not you want to depends on the kinds of life choices that you want to make, the kind and of life much you want to you live. like yourself? <laughs> yep.
2: I'm gonna come out right now and say I'm gonna come out and defend this movie. I think I enjoyed I, I'm, it. I'm with Nick actually. Right. I'm
0: I'm I'll be a little uh, more favorable towards it. Okay. We, we, well good.
2: We've got a yeah. we got a thing going here.
0: We
1: we will uh, we will get to that in in a moment. But for the benefit of those at home, uh, a brief plot summary. And trivia about the Punisher character and film. So the plot of The Punisher, 1989. Frank Castle is a cop whose family was killed five years ago in a mob hit. Frank has since taken to living in the sewers of whatever city he's supposed to be living in. And doling yeah. <laughs> and doling out his own... Yeah, the space needle's back there. <laughs> and doling out his own personal brand of justice as a vigilante known only as The Punisher. Frank's old partner, Berkowitz, played by Lou Gossett Jr., uh, Oscar winner Lou Gossett Jr., suspects that Frank and the Punisher are one and the same, but is being told by City Hall to keep a lid on it. Frank has killed 125 people over the past five years. Uh, Mobster Dino Moretti is acquitted of the murder of Frank's family, but promptly killed by Frank, causing fellow mob leader Gianni Franco, played by Jérôme Crabé, or... Yes. Uh, to come to town and take over the family. Uh, Franco wants to buy out the other mobsters in the city, but the arrival of y- Yakuza leader Lady Tanaka, played by Kim Miuri, uh, I pronounced it like it was Swedish, not Japanese, Myuri, Uh causes a full-blown gang war to erupt. Tanaka kidnaps the children of other mob leaders and begins her takeover of the city, and Frank is guilted into taking action when his man on the street... Alcoholic retired actor Shake, played by Boz Lerman favorite Barry Otto, points out that the instability of the city's underworld is the result of Frank's rampage. Uh, Frank rescues all but one of the kids, Franco's son Tommy, and is finally arrested by the police. After an intense reunion with Berkowitz, uh, Frank is busted out of prison by Franco. And the two of them go to rescue Tommy together and take down Lady Tanaka for once and for all. Frank kills Tanaka and then deals with Franco's sudden but inevitable betrayal, killing him as well. Uh, he then traumatizes Franco's son horribly and vanishes into the sewers, having learned nothing and accomplished very little. Uh, I haven't Bur- seen
3: that part yet. Spo- wait, wait.
1: Spoilers. You're right, you said
3: not to ruin
1: it. Sorry. Um, Berkowitz is left screaming for him from the rooftops. And we leave this film none the wiser for it.
3: Uh, what what yeah. happens to Shake? <laughs> Shake doesn't really appear after that. Yeah, that, that's really good. <laughs> he kind of drops out of the yeah. way. He,
2: he, so, he runs he was, down the street and drops a Punisher knife that tips uh, Lugasa Jr. off that, uh, that Frank's involved. Yes. Okay.
1: <sighs> so a little bit of Punisher trivia before we dive in. So the Punisher was created by Jerry Conway and John Romita Sr.
3: Can we go back and can you call that Trivial Punishment? (laughs) Okay, I'm
1: going to record a sound clip and then we'll dub this in at the beginning.
3: Trivial Punishment. There we
1: go. Thank you. Um, Created by Jerry Conway and John Ramita Sr. in 1974. Uh, Not surprisingly, they designed his costume first.
2: And he's never actually in that costume. Yes, the, uh,
1: the Punisher began.
2: The only thing anyone knows about the Punisher, and it doesn't show up. This was a point of some contention yes.
0: at these screenings. And I
2: I, I, I
1: really want to hear the uh, the rationale for it. Uh, the Punisher began life as a Spider-Man villain. Uh, he was a vengeful former U.S. Marine working with the Jackal. And he was part of kind of a broader movement of post-Vietnam morally ambiguous action heroes, sort of uh, in the, the death wish mold, the Dirty Harry mold, the Shaft mold. John Rambo. John Rambo, yep. Well, in in the eighties, he was kind of reinvented as a Ramboesque or more Schwarzenegger-like pure action hero, and at one point starred in three monthly comics, three Punisher comics is, being published wow. every month. Mm-hmm. Uh he His popular he was. His popularity collapsed in the mid-90s. And then the character underwent a few revamps. Uh, First, he committed suicide and came back to life as an avenging angel for for God.
2: Obviously. obviously, That didn't didn't last very long. I'm an avenging angel for God.
1: Um, this, This was ignored when Garth Enos and Steve Dillon relaunched the character in sort of a classic gritty vigilante role. Uh this was probably Now when you, I think
2: it's when you say ignore
3: do you mean that they did not acknowledge it in they any way? they did not acknowledge it in any that's way That's awesome I, I um, think his name is pronounced Garth Ennis but I'm not sure about it Garth that. Ennis I believe you're it's probably Ennis.
1: correct Um this was probably the most critically and artistically successful version of the character and he kind of existed more or less outside of the broader Marvel universe Uh this version died at the end of his series so that's two deaths and then he was relaunched back into the Marvel mainstream uh, by Matt Fraction in 2006 in more of a traditional comic book take. Now, uh, the, I have to mention this before we get to the film, the goofiest and most notable thing to happen to the Punisher. Wait.
3: Pro- I think this, a- a- may be the, this may be the only Punisher comic that I have read.
1: <laughs> wait for it. Wait for
3: okay. it. It's probably the only yeah. one I've read.
1: Um, goofiest and most notable thing to happen to him, at least in the last decade. Was his death again and dismemberment at the hand of Wolverine's immortal half Japanese bisexual son, Dakin, who is not to be confused with Wolverine's hypersexualized claw footed daughter, X23. Frank is killed and then resurrected by Morbius as a Frankenstein's monster type patchwork character named Frankencastle. (laughs)
3: <laughs> not what i thought you were going to talk about yeah I, nick were you I, thinking of the punisher kills the marvel universe yes okay that's what i thought he was meant and then i
2: was going to object to that being the goofiest because i'm pretty sure the goofiest is marvel meets is punisher meets archie because <laughs> there's a crossover event between marvel comics and archie comics where punisher goes to Riverdale. of course that's the goofiest Um, Oh my god. But yes, I was thinking of uh, Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe. Yeah, who wrote
1: that?
3: Does anyone know? Punisher
1: Kills the Marvel Universe? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But the Frankencastle bit was eventually undone by magic. And now that all of this context is established, we can talk about the film, which was released theatrically worldwide, but not in the U.S. or Sweden, interestingly enough. Oh, uh, Derek Wong, yeah. why is that?
0: Uh well, the uh studio that produced this film, uh New World Pictures, actually went out of business um in uh before its US distribution. And so um they they didn't want to want to release it theatrically, I the US. Mm. It it was essentially direct to video in the United mm-hmm. States. It was it was one of the very first actually direct to video
1: films okay. released in the Huh. So, so broadly, sp- very interesting. Yes.
0: Mm. I, I would I like point more. out.
1: For, for the, for, I
0: apologize. Uh, I apologize for the knowledge that you've accumulated in the course of this podcast. For, for, for
1: those of you who can't I mean, see this at home...
3: Movie. this isn't about learning things.
1: Yeah, it's not supposed to be an existential experience. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it does make yeah. sense,
3: though. The, the only way I'd ever seen it was on VHS at other people's houses.
1: Uh-huh.
3: Uh, I mean, not actually viewed the film, but physically seen the object that was the VHS tape of the film on someone's <laughs> shelf.
1: But now, now you've finally had the opportunity to see it. Well, yes. except for the last four minutes. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So, again, kind of the, the broad framework of the conversation is what makes this film succeed and fail uh, as an adaptation of the sort of comic character, but also as a standalone piece. And we kind of established we've got some divergent opinions on this. So, uh, Nick Bester, would you like to begin the conversation by giving us your take on the Punisher?
2: Sure. Um, now, I would like to. I would like to point out. I'm not arguing that it succeeds. <laughs> I don't think this is a successful movie, but I don't think it's an awful movie. I feel like like there's different categories of bad movies. There's the, there's the so bad they're good movies, the just sort of mediocre movies, and then there's movies that you know have some have some good ideas, and with some better execution would have been at least good movies. And I think this falls into that category. I think it's not that far off the mark. Um, And honestly, one of the things I most liked about it was that it didn't get bogged down in the origin story. Mm -hmm. Like, it Hmm. starts out, and Punisher is already Punisher. Frank Castle's been doing this for five years. There is, like, probably a 15-second-long flashback to... (laughs) His family being killed in a car bomb. And Dolph Lundgren exhibits
1: far and away the most range of his acting skill <laughs> in that fifteen seconds.
2: Yes, it's essentially him running <laughs> in slow motion, reaching out to the explosion. No. Um, and I just feel like so many uh, so many movies get pointlessly bogged down in the origin story. I, 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 it certainly works well for Punisher, given that he is such a simple character that you really can just do this in like two lines and a brief flashback. Mm-hmm. But then you have other characters who are much more iconic that everyone really knows the story of already. I really don't think you need to explain where Superman or Batman is from anymore. I feel like Batman, you could probably do about the same amount of backstory on Batman and get into the details, which is arguably what the Burton movie does. The Burton movie uh, yeah. at least starts in media res, whereas almost every other uh, superhero movie I've, I've seen has to establish uh, who this person was before they were a superhero, which I don't really give a shit about. Uh, I'm, I'm interested in them, you know, being Batman, being the Punisher, being Spider-Man. I don't need to, um...
3: I don't think this will also, be the first of,
1: time that, Nick, or the last time that Burton's Batman comes up here. <laughs> no.
3: Um,
1: See,
0: uh, think, Nick, I, while, while, Sorry, Nick, while, while you're on that point. Yes. Um, interestingly... Uh the the film originally did have a backstory for the Punisher. Basically the first act was origin story Frank Castle before he became the Punisher. Yeah, that would have um, sucked. Yeah. And he, and it was cut out. Like um Mark Goldblatt the the director, he I mean he actually made his career as an editor. I mean he's he's a pretty famous editor of He edited of Starship lots Troopers and so. Uh He edited Starship Troopers. He's collaborated Derek, Yes. If I
2: it, if I could interrupt Please. you for a second, you should probably explain why you have this cornucopia of knowledge about this, given that you, you saw this in a much different context than the rest of us did. So why don't you yeah. just set up how you watched
0: this movie? Yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I was just going to get to that. Um, so I um, actually saw this uh, in a screening with the director, uh, Mark Goldblatt, and uh, you know probably 30, 40 other people um, at a weekly cinematech that um, we do at the University I Teach At. Um, so he, um, basically introduced the film and there was a little bit of a Q and A afterwards. So learned all sorts of uh, interesting things about the film. Um, and one of them was, yeah, that originally there was an origin story and Goldblatt looked at it and he said, this is, this is dragging pretty terribly and basically re-edited it and got rid of all of the, all of the origin story stuff. So we start in Medius Res, mm-hmm. um, you know, we start with, the you know, that mob boss coming back. And, and basically, the Punisher murdering him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, and Goldblatt did that because he, he needed like, a jumpier, sort of action y start to the, the film. So I think it works really well. Um, yeah, I think
2: it works really well. I mean, yeah. g- going back to Batman. And interestingly, the movie brings up Batman at least two different times. Which was probably which not a good like, move. It's not a good move, A, oh, because this great, is a character belonging to a rival company. And Batman is a much better character than the uh, than the Punisher is. It just seems strange to keep uh, comparing uh, comparing the two. I think, it's uh, perfectly but I mean, answer, if you think though. about it, I suppose. Oh. Um, although, although a lot of the time you feel like superheroes exist in a universe where superheroes don't exist. Like yeah. most most superhero movies aren't going around talking about oh, there's a pre existing genre of superhero movies. So it's interesting that. This one at least acknowledges that at the very least DC comics seem to exist in well I, in this so
3: so world building. I, I think it, <laughs> it makes perfect sense though, because uh, the Punisher is the Punisher and Batman are, are the two superheroes I know of who are not superheroes that they don't have any magical powers uh, that they operate within our world. And it also makes sense to me that a Marvel character would dis, would mention a DC character because if you are going to be consistent within the Marvel universe then he can't mention a comic book of another cha- another character who is a person within his world. He would mention a fictional character mm-hmm. who would have to be someone from the rival company.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one, of the, no, that makes sense. one of the things that, in, in addition to the repeated mentions of Batman over the course of the film, that struck me was structurally how similar this film was. I don't want to say ripped off, but... Um, Serendipitously aligned with Burton's Batman film, you you oh, ha- I have. I have. I have another movie I want to compare it to, but you've you've. You, you we, we have. Uh, we have Frank beginning the film as the Punisher. There is no uh, sort of big big origin build-up. He makes his debut in action early in the film. This is immediately followed up by the cop character. Uh, in Burton's Batman, it was Eckhart, who of course got killed, but in this one, it was Berkowitz investigating the scene, dismissing rumors of Frank's existence as the Punisher. Um, the, the one thing that we kind of miss is sort of the Vicki Vale love interest, but everything about sort of the way the character is treated by the authorities, the way the character functions in relation to mob bosses and criminals in the city, the way that um, much of the story is told from the perspective of other people investigating what Frank is doing. So in Burton's Batman, it would have been Knox and Vicki Vale, and in this it's Berkowitz, and what, what was Berkowitz's partner's name, the spunky
2: partner? Um, I don't know. She used computer magic to find yeah, him.
1: Yeah, the spunky partner. Um, the, the story being told from their perspective. Um, it, it felt like because this came out, mate. Sam. Sam. Lear. Sam. It felt like this. You know, this came out maybe four or five months after Burton's Batman. So I don't know how much it actually could have been influenced by it, unless someone had seen an early screening. Or It was.
0: I mean, it, it, it was influenced. I mean, he hadn't seen the the film, no. but they knew it was coming yeah. out, and so that's that's why they threw in all of the Batman records.
1: Yeah. And, okay, that makes sense. And, and it just, there were definite points in the film where it felt like, oh, this was in here to draw comparisons to Batman. So that's...
2: Yeah, no, I see that. Yeah. All right, now I have a, I have another movie comparison. This technical. one's probably even more out there. Kill Bill, hmm. uh, which I realize is probably a more out there uh, comparison, uh, but there's there are several things. And I don't know if there's like any like actual inspiration being taken from this movie, but certainly elements that made me think of it. First of all, I mean the character is just fundamentally similar. You have He's uh, played by Uma Thurman. The bride and mm-hmm. Frank. The the bride and Frank both their families have been murdered by this criminal organization. Mm-hmm. And they dedicate themselves to uh, k- killing all these people. Um, you have Oda and Ishi and Lady Tanaka, which both get, who, who are both described in very similar terms as being the first women to rise to the top of the yakuza. I really want to. I really want to uh, really
1: talk about the uh, sort of Japanese phobia going on in the film. But we Oh we my should, god, there's, there's a lot to talk oh, about there. Amazing. We will talk about <laughs> that.
2: Uh, she, uh, Lady Tanaka's main lieutenant, is this sort of kick-ass younger woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Similar to uh, Go Go, what's her name? Kill Bill, uh, um, and she 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 fights with uh, blades in her uh, in her shoes, which I believe is something that Bud does, if I remember correctly, in uh, Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have uh, this may be spoiling it for uh, dude who wasn't able to see the last four it's minutes. Okay, dude. Uh, But <laughs> but at the very at the very end, when uh, Frank successfully <laughs> kills the mafia don, uh, he he essentially has the exact same conversation that the bride has with. Uh, Vivica Fox's daughter, about how he totally Mm. deserves revenge on him.
1: And completely traumatizes that kid for life. Like, there's no recovery (laughs) from that day
2: (laughs) for that kid. Yes, but to be fair, it was kind of lose-lose for that kid, because the alternative was watching his father murder the man who had just saved his life. So... Obviously, his father being murdered is going to be the more traumatic of the two options, but it's not like he was going to come out roses after his father. And I'm glad that you used the phrase earlier, sudden and inevitable betrayal, because that's exactly yeah. what it is.
1: <laughs> Frank, thank you for helping me. Now I'll help you. To your grave!
2: Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think... I'd be surprised if Quentin Tarantino specifically said, you know what, I'm going to borrow these elements from this little scene Punisher movie. Mm-hmm. Well there are definitely parallels there that went that made me go hmm maybe. But well, well visual well,
0: style too, right? I mean at the sorry. Kill. Like in the um just that that whole room where um you know the the whole you know the ninja assassin squad like trains. Yeah. Um like it looks right out of Kill Bill, like the where the 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 crazy 88s basically mm-hmm. are hanging out, right? Yeah, I it mean looks it's all like
3: that. Yeah. Uh, dude, you were going to say that something? Quentin Tarantino's shtick, though. Like, all of his, all of his films tend to be an amalgamation oh, yeah. of other films. And Kill Bill is nothing, but. Yeah, I mean, but he's, something. he's I haven't seen all of the coverage references. But.
2: I mean, in my experience, Tarantino is usually pretty sort of forthcoming about what he's borrowing mm-hmm. from. And at least in my experience, I don't think he's ever identified The Punisher as being a text that he was borrowing from when he was making Kill Bill. Yeah. Uh, and it's certainly a possibility it was. Um. But and, and I didn't to, necessarily to fair, mean intentionally. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to say. And
1: certainly, the Punisher itself is borrowing from a long line of other films, and that that was one of the things that that struck me going through. And we can talk about this in relation to uh, to the Skull. But this felt much more like a generic '80s action film than an adaptation of an established comic book character, to the point where. I almost wonder if this had been a script, like an 80s action script, and someone dropped the Punisher in there without really understanding anything about the Punisher.
2: Hmm. Um, uh, well... Go ahead. Go ahead, Nick. Oh, no, I was I was letting you go ahead.
0: Oh, sorry. <laughs> You're so courteous. Yeah, well, I mean, the... Um... I don't know if that was necessarily the case. I mean, the writer um, is um, Boaz Yakin, yeah. um, and he's he's pretty successful screenwriter. Um, he wrote like Prince of Persia, mm-hmm. and he like I think Now You See it. Me, yeah. Now You See Me, um, safe. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I guess it's not out of the question. But it, I, I'm, I'm I not saying it was. I didn't get the but it sp- yeah, felt yeah. like
2: it at times. Yeah, yeah. Like, like my theory of how uh, how Howard the Duck had been made is somebody just decided to slap a duck randomly in yeah. there
0: really? instead of Michael J. Fox. But I mean, on the on the front of you know, like borrowing from other films. I mean, the the whole plot point of our hero's family getting killed by a bomb in a car um, is right out of. Um, uh, a film called *The Big Heat*, which mm. is a, a Fritz Lang film from mm. the 1950s. Um, oh yeah,
2: starring certainly. starring Glenn Ford. And certainly the
1: I I thought Fritz Lang all the way through.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, certainly, certainly the their whole family's been murdered, and thus they're out for revenge. Element of it is the least compelling thing that I might could, might say. Oh, this is where it's similar mm. to *Kill Bill*. Um, but it's, it's... Dude, can you still hear us? You yeah, yeah, anything, I can actually? hear you. It's
3: just, it's, whenever I talk, all of you guys get muted, and then all of the sound gets, uh, delayed, so. Also, I just didn't ah. have anything in particular to say at that point. Okay, moment. yeah, I just,
2: <laughs> as, as I couldn't see you and I couldn't hear you, I just wanted to make sure you were, you, you didn't have any Yeah.
3: I'm still here. Um, uh, periodically, I will make a wild eep noise. <laughs> good. Good. Eep.
2: That'll be productive.
3: <laughs> um... <laughs> I think one of the one of the things
1: that I definitely learned from the film as someone who did not grow up reading Punisher comics is on, I mean, if we go by that idea that this is a fairly generic 80s action film that cribs mercilessly from other films, the defining characteristic of the Punisher is the shirt. Suggests- I, without the skull on his chest, I found it difficult to think of him as the Punisher, which probably doesn't speak volumes about the strengths and depths of this character. <laughs> and he's an interesting
3: choice. So, Derek, um, do you? Uh, there, there is no depth well, to no manager. Manager. his his entire well, existence have- is built upon the fact that he just kills bad people. There's no complexity to him at all. It's just wish fulfillment yeah. for for uh, the Charles Bronson crowd.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, when you said a moment ago that it felt like sort of a generic '80s action movie, I think in some ways that's actually what I like most about yeah? it. Yeah. Like I don't really I don't really again he's not a very de- deep character. I don't really give a shit if it's faithful to the Punisher cuz I have absolutely no investment in the Punisher as a character. Mm-hmm. But I thought I thought it was a reasonably well-made 80s action movie with enough sort of insane things happening there particularly with the yakuza that I enjoyed it.
1: Derek, did uh did Mr. Goldblatt provide any insight into the decision to leave the skull off the shirt? <laughs>
0: Um, well, he, he was asked, um, and his, his response was, was essentially that, um, they didn't think it was, it was necessary. Um, now, I don't know if... <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the single defining element of the character.
3: <laughs> this is reminding well, me a lot of, uh, a Michael Bay's of it... recent response to the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, yeah. And not thinking that it's important part, that they be teenagers, ninjas.
0: Part of it was they they wanted the they wanted, and perhaps perhaps it, this was it was not a good idea to uh, adapt to to the cast fun. the film the way they did um, based on this decision. But they didn't they they wanted the the character and the acting to sort of stand on its own without the, <laughs> <laughs> without the skull um so they cast <laughs> oh, Dolph, he was so they
3: cast Dolph he Lendler, wanted a high concept which, Punisher film <laughs> <Phil. laughs>
0: which, which is which is my real point of contention with the movie is Dolph is Dolph Lundgren uh but also they they wanted to you have to sort of remember this is this is before uh like comic book, book movies were really yeah. a thing mm-hmm. right yeah I mean this you know, is Batman you know just hit but that
1: that was it was a nascent form
0: it was a nascent form, and when this film was being produced, you know the Batman hadn't been released yet. And back then, the sort of conception about um, kind of moving image forms of comic books was basically based on the '60s Batman, and uh-huh. so it was associated with high camp, with you know Biff Zap, uh-huh. you know very um, kind of stylized comic booky visual representations. Um, and associated with that was, you know, things like the Batman symbol, yeah. like, you know, the Punisher's sort of, you know, t-shirt. Yeah. Um, and so basically along that line of thinking was, you know, they, they, for their sort of gritty vision to work, the skull, for whatever reason, I'm not defending the yeah. decision, but for, you know, within that sort of logic, they were sort of like, yeah, this might be a little too campy. Um, and so they, they decided not mm. to do it. Um, and basically they, um, you know, Goldblatt was basically saying, we did want to get the skull in there, which is why we put it on the knife. Yeah. Um, mm. but you know, for, for, for your hardcore Punisher
2: fans, it was, cl- <laughs> it was clear there were a couple at the screening <laughs> last night and they were not pleased. That's <laughs> that a, that's a very strange category of people, the hardcore yeah, Punisher. Wait a minute, yeah. man, are you telling me that um, you just,
3: that this screening was last night? Uh, no, it was two nights oh, ago. But regardless, Recent, your screening sorry. just happened to coincide with our scheduling of this podcast. It was,
1: it was a yeah. wonderful coincidence.
3: Okay, I did not know that until it's now. It's pretty amazing. Um, I, do, I have to say amazing. that uh, today I watched uh, The Punisher Dirty Laundry, which yeah. makes a big deal out of the uh, the shirt, even though he's not wearing mm-hmm. it through the, through the short. But then I watched this film, and admittedly I was probably half watching it for, uh, I'd say about a third of the time that I was watching it but i honestly didn't even notice that he wasn't wearing the shirt and that hmm. it sounds ridiculous to say it now because it's really obvious but the the character was just acting like the punisher the whole time and so captivating was just, his performance yeah yeah uh,
0: uh, and you know I, I go ahead i had basically no exposure to the punisher before watching this movie i mean i heard of the mm-hmm. character um and i maybe i knew vaguely about the shirt but I didn't miss it either, right? I, mean,
2: I,
3: so. I am really At At some point, at some point I distinctly
2: remember, he's not wearing the shirt. I wonder if he's going to put the shirt on for, like, the final consideration. I shirt. kind of expected that was going to build up to
3: it. I figured it was in the last four minutes.
2: Uh, <laughs> <sadly> <laughs> no, crop up
3: it does in the not. Last <laughs> well, um,
1: we, we, kind, we kind of broached the topic in that conversation. Uh, do we want to talk about Dolph Lundgren's performance?
2: Oh god yes <laughs> His brilliant Brilliant performance
1: You see For
0: me The thin line Separating this movie From passable mm-hmm. Uh Which it is Um And Potentially a good film Is Dolph is Lundgren Like <laughs> Dolph Lundgren Makes that difference Like his His acting in this film It just It just destroys it It's not existent <laughs> You know
1: yeah. I mean <laughs> I I get that you know there's they're portraying him as an emotionally shattered man, you know, a ghost of a man. So you want kind of mm-hmm. a sort of stoicism from him. But you want sort you want that to be accompanied by the strong screen presence that someone like, you know, a, a Clint Eastwood could have pulled off. Um or like the guy who walks into the room and just has that stone cold killer vibe to it.
2: Well, there has to be gravitas yeah. to it as well. And,
1: and, and um, Lundgren just—he
2: was. Derek, are you claiming that that Dolph Lundgren does <laughs> not have gravitas? <laughs> Shocking! I, <know. laughs> I just don't want to hear this.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Nick. <laughs> well, no, he- well, I mean. But, you know it's it seems unfair to you know criticize it also for the accent but like you know the the accent kind of ruins it as well yeah. um because it it it's just it's an extra sort of barrier yeah. <laughs> to you know already the the acting yeah. is you know is kind of wooden but you know
1: then you then you've just got that extra step you have I, to take and it's sort of I found of, him more compelling when he was not speaking. speaking um which is yeah. which is not yeah. a good sign um no, he, he was he was miscast, and I, that kind of got me thinking, why was this conceived of as a vehicle for Dolph Lundgren? So you had Rocky IV, and then you had Masters of the Universe, which was a terrible flop, and then you had...
2: I didn't even know they made a Masters of the and Universe. And
1: he was movie. He-Man. Guess yeah. who was Skeletor?
2: Uh, Eli Wallach. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, Frank Langella. Ooh. No, but they they did both of those. I wish it had been Eli Waller. <laughs> the
1: short Jewish Skeletor, short Jewish playing a Mexican Skeletor.
3: <laughs> yep. Um.
1: No, no, but the, but the, then he's cast in The Punisher, and so was this like was this an effort to make Dolph Lundgren as a star? Were they trying to coast on whatever star power he had left from Rocky Four? Like what was? What was the episode? I think it was camp? that, and
0: I mean, it's it's a low budget picture, right? I mean, it's <gasps> coming out of new Gas. World <laughs> pictures, so um, you know, real, you know, it could conceivably be that Dolph Lundgren was the caliber of star they could afford yeah. for the Punisher. Um,
3: yeah, I'm looking at this. But this they is were really able just to just afford a... Lou Gossett Jr., yeah. who
1: doesn't come.
0: Cheap. Oscar
3: winner Lou
1: Gossett Jr. <laughs> um, what was it? Know. He he won the best supporting actor Oscar for an Officer and a Gentleman. A few years before this. So it, it was... He was... His name is on the poster. Despite him fulfilling no plot functions. <laughs> for, the, the, the only thing that he does in... I have to say... The, I, sorry,
0: I have to say... I I, I really love Lou a <laughs> Jr. in this film. <laughs> I mean... He, he kind of makes up for, for the, the negative influence of Dolph and he's Lone.
1: He's very clearly uh, like he's doing the world-weary cop bit and he he has the only bearing on the plot that he has is he is kidnapped by uh Franco's men to get Castle to work with them to rescue the son he promptly breaks <laughs> free on his own <laughs> Which is an incredible yeah, scene. Yeah. Like,
0: I, I love that scene.
1: Breaks free on his own, <laughs> arrives just in time to not have any impact on the climax and then scream from the rooftop. <laughs> That's
3: true. I would also like to point out while we're on the subject Frank! that uh, that Lou Gossett Jr. was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best a- Actor for the 1985 film Enemy Mine, which is a childhood favorite <laughs> of mine.
0: Enemy Mine! Yes! I love Enemy Mine! Yes. <gasps>
3: My God! So that was
0: uh... no, but that no, that whole scene with where where Lou, where, where Berkowitz breaks himself out <laughs> from captivity, <laughs> and he's like, "I gotta take a leak." Yeah. I mean, he uses he uses like the old trick in the yeah. book. <laughs> I gotta take a leak. What you're gonna hold the equipment... And he's yeah. handcuffed. What you're gonna hold the equipment <laughs> your for? Your boss me? wants a yellow stain <laughs> um, on so the, the gym. Your boss, your boss wants a yellow stain on the on the gym j- on the leather. <laughs> so, he punches him out, and then the, the pizza guy comes. Oh yeah, the pizza oh, no. guy. Yeah. No, well, I guess it's no, it's not the pizza guy, it's another like gangster with the pizza. He knocks yeah. out that guy, takes a slice of pizza, and eats it. It's incredible.
1: And, and then arrives just in time to bump into shake, find a knife, argue with an elevator repair man, and scream from a rooftop. He has no bearing on the plot. Right. So my, my theory is that he exists for two reasons. Um, well, no, three. One, uh, to pad the running time of the film. Because no scene with him has any impact on anything. <laughs> it's just exposition delivery. Uh, number two, uh, he exists so that when... Uh, Franco brings in one of Frank's friends to hold him hostage at the end, it doesn't have to be Shake again, because that's already happened. <laughs> <laughs> and number three, he exists to fulfill the role of, like, the uh, the lover from Frank's former life. Like, yeah, the 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 argument that mm. they have when Frank is in captivity, there was a lot of subtext there. A lot that's of subtext. True.
2: There was no it, subtext. What are you talking about?
0: Th- theirs is the central relationship. In it is. I mean, you have to, you have to applaud the film for not putting uh, Berkowitz's partner Sam in the like damsel yep. in distress
2: role. I mean, <laughs> he, she has you he know lots of a bearing on the plot. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
2: Impressively, <laughs> I Like you have this.
0: She bas- basically her function in this film is to use a computer yep. and receive <laughs> yeah, exposition. The to
2: figure out that Frank lives in the sewer, they go find where he lives, and then I don't think appears again. No, no, she she is it's in, in the.
1: Uh... Go ahead, dude. She
2: she has like a pep talk oh, I mean, with uh,
0: with Frank.
3: Yeah. I, I stopped what... looking dude, at the screen when she ahead. was actually doing the uh, the computer uh, check, but as I recall, the, the conversation went. This computer is going to solve, uh, going to tell us where he lives, and then Lou Gossett Jr. points to the board and says, "I have pins from all of these places where he's committed these crimes." And then she says, "What about under the city?" Uh, and <laughs> d- does it. the computer? No, no, ex- no, no. He's, was it the yeah, computer that suggested like, the sewer, or was it just her intuition?
0: No, I think it was her intuition, prompted by Berkowitz's line of like, "I've looked." Over
1: and yeah. around and through this city. <laughs> but not under it.
0: And the She's computer actually f- does f- not, correct? Yes, exactly.
2: Pretty much. Okay. Not that we can tell. Also, that is the scene where Berkowitz is the absolute closest to saying, I'm too old for this yes. shit. So like, every other scene that has not he's precariously close to, to doing it. But that's mm-hmm. definitely the scene like, uh, a computer.
1: But you, you have to admire them for having the restraint to not include... The line that we all expected, um, yeah, because he's he, definitely he, playing he that is one. definitely too old for this shit, but he doesn 't have to say it his <laughs> performance shows it show don 't
3: tell what is what is the release of this film in relation to the lethal weapon films uh, after because that's the, that's after those the are the movies thing. that I specifically associate that line with, okay, oh yeah
2: oh yeah, I mean that's the sort of iconic line of those movies. Okay. Um, at least the first two have come out at this point. Maybe the third one has. I'm not sure.
3: Alright. So
1: I've got I've got one more performance I wanna discuss, and then we have to get to uh the the ugly uh uh subtext of the film. So the performance. We have to discuss Shake for a little bit. <laughs> oh
0: my god, yes, we do need to Yes. Stereo. Easily the best character. <laughs>
2: oh yes. Yes. So <laughs> I I can't remember Classic which scene it was but there's joke, Definitely a scene where I way. where I realize <laughs> yes, that's <there's a> <laughs> thespian joke. What the hell is thespian? <laughs> but the second, the second or third and scene he's it. in, I real. The second or third scene he's in, I realize, I realize that he is actually talking in rhyming couplets. Yes. he's talking in iambic mm-hmm. pentameter, yep.
3: which is amazing. Really, uh, uh, I, I love... Go ahead, dude. Ah, uh, I love that when when the, the guy in the bar is shocked that he would use the word thespian, or what's a thespian, he says, oh, an actor. Immediately the man is friendly. Like, he stopped being yeah. appalled, And whereas <laughs> you, you wouldn't expect him to give him any money for any reason. But now, because yeah. he's an actor, he's overly friendly.
1: Oh, you're an actor. I, I, Not an actor. I, I love that, that sort of little introduction to him, and then I love how we first see him meeting Frank with the remote-controlled oh, yeah. whiskey delivery. So yeah, the RC car. Frank, think... Frank has an RC car, like, with a truck bed on it, onto which he has set a <laughs> bottle of whiskey. The car drives around the corner of the bar, <laughs> turns around, That's and like Shake a, follows it a,
3: like an... It does like a three-point turn. It actually yeah. goes into reverse. It doesn't just do a loop. <laughs> it,
1: and Shake <laughs> follows it like... A, uh, an old cartoon character following a dollar bill on the end of a fishing line. Yes. <laughs> Follows it around the corner and Frank is standing there looking stoic. It was bizarre and it was oddly whimsical for Frank.
3: <laughs> so I have a couple questions. This is, this is one problem that I have with a lot of action films, actually. Uh, I, don't, yeah. I don't mind it in completely ridiculous films, which most action films are, but when, when the character has exactly what they need at that moment... With no preparation for that, it, it's like James Bond always has the gadget that he needs. But at least you see him acquiring the gadget earlier in the film. In this, mm-hmm. like suddenly there's a noose flying down the d- down from the the balcony to capture the the guard in the beginning. Yeah. And clearly the noose has already like been moving while he is stepping towards it. Uh, but it, he just happens to have a noose right then when he needs it. Now he has an RC car. Was he waiting there for those four hours with the RC car? Just, like, peeking out from around the corner, looking for him to get thrown out of the bar?
1: Like- I like to imagine that he was walking the streets of the city with the car tucked under his arm. Just like this large My old- question. Just
0: waiting for his moment. Exactly. My question is how Frank Castle charges that RC car in the sewers. In in his, like, man cave lit by candles. He charges
1: it the same way way that the professor used to charge his coconut radio on Gilligan's Island. The same way (laughs) as Begley Jr. makes toast.
2: (laughs) To be fair, I mean, with the exception of those two things, as I recall, Frank Castle's... uh, Armory is not particularly sophisticated. Yeah. He has, like, a couple guns and then an enormous number of knives. And guns that he finds. Which I yeah. find is,
3: Infinite knives.
2: Which I find really that strange of, because I'm, as, I don't really know much about the Punisher, but I'm pretty sure knives are not an iconic part of how he works. Um, he shoots people.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He uses guns. But mm-hmm. they need skull on something, so <laughs> knives. He throws <laughs> knives at, like, half the people he kills. He uses guns,
0: and he also yeah. frequently leaves guns places. Yes. Like he'll bring like three or four guns into battle with him and leave half of them. He's just he's like, confident. Where that he can is he get getting
1: more? all yeah. these
2: guns <laughs> from? Killing people.
1: I did ask at I one guess. point how how is he affording this this lifestyle that he's leading? Although I suppose that given what he uh, given what he needs, he's not like incurring heavy expenses.
2: I imagine yeah, he probably a, steals it, he money from have the a people Batman he kills. operation here. No. He might. He could, he could be doing that off-screen. Because, I mean, if you really think about it, he needs gas for his motorcycle, yep. food, mm-hmm. and bullets. Because yeah. he seems to just be taking guns off dead people. and He, he maybe has a he lot needs of explosives. Of every so he does have a lot of explosives. Okay. Yeah. He, do, he, he, does he also seems to be bomb-proof. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> All the best ones are.
0: He also appears to have, like, a... Uh, uh, a mini forge, like so a, a tiny bellows <laughs> that he can that he can heat his knife to to cauterize his own yeah,
1: wounds. Yeah. This is true.
2: He does do uh, that. that they, In
1: France, they call it la forge petite. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's la forge. You've got Frank living this lifestyle. His man on the street, Shake. His ex partner, Berkowitz. Um, I would mention more about the gangsters themselves, but like the the American gangsters are not particularly memorable. Although we spent no. we spent a lot of time with them, but I don't ever remember them doing anything. However, what is memorable is the presence of the yakuza, <laughs> and I think we really need to talk about this. Yes. <laughs> what one can I, one, can
0: one factoid before we get to the yakuza? Yes. Mel Gibson's brother is one of the
2: gangsters, Donald Gibson.
4: Hmm. All
0: right,
2: interesting. Wow. Yes, now he's can he, I explain he's barely the yakuza barely... in the movie cuz that seems amazing.
1: You want to explain the yakuza introduction? Go ahead.
2: Yes. All right. So, Frank in waging his one-man war is uh staking out a mob uh drug deal. And meanwhile, a bunch of scuba ninjas show scuba up. Scuba ninjas. <laughs> yep. Scuba ninjas is the only way to describe them. That's perfect. I was very pleased later in the movie when I discovered that they were, in fact, ninjas. I was just sort of thinking, oh, they're scuba ninjas. Then they turned out to be the Yakuza. Um, so there's this bizarre, fairly incoherent scene, I felt, where um, we should come back you have to the, editing different of the sides, you have these three different sides all fighting, and it's very unclear who's who. I'm like... So is the it, because they haven't introduced the Yakuza at this point. It's only later that that you it's revealed that there is a third player in this. So suddenly all of these scuba ninjas are killing, killing the gangsters. Frank is also there trying to kill the gangsters, and the scuba ninjas are trying to kill Frank. And then Frank has to jump on top of a car and shoot the guy driving it.
1: When you say this, the, as you're describing it, I'm only imag- I'm imagining Frank as Frank Reynolds from It's Always Sunny.
3: <laughs> Wild card. <laughs> sorry, I'm yeah, sorry. It's been
2: Danny DeVito the whole time. <laughs> that that
1: would be amazing. gravitas. Um, <laughs> no, so the, the scuba ninjas show up, and then it's established that uh, the yakuza is infiltrating the city and wants to take over uh, the criminal activities there. And they are led by Lady Tanaka and her uh, her mute American daughter. And her her gang of roving ninjas.
2: I did not get that that was her daughter. I thought it was just like her her. Bigger. It was
1: mentioned like once. She, yeah. adopted, she adopted a mute okay. American okay. girl who is always with her. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Um, the, 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 and this is the scene where it's established that just like Oda and Ishii, she is the first woman to rise to the top of the yes. yakuza, unless she means serious business.
1: She um, the the only thing that I could think of when I was watching this is. You know, contextually you place it in its time this was 1989 it's not outlandish to think that you know in the same way that some people were concerned that nintendo buying the seattle mariners was indicative of a japanese takeover of the u.s that that same fear was being played to here it's like japan's rising up again it, we we got our american gangsters that's fine but we got to keep them japanese gangsters out of here
2: Oh, so yes, yeah. the, the, th- the yellow peril element of that. And, yes, the the weird, insane yellow peril that some people felt about the, the Mariners is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I remember reading an article uh, for that on the undergrad, and the person who wrote the article was absolutely convinced that the obvious next step was that Nintendo or some other Japanese company was going to either move the Mariners or buy a team and move it to Washington and then bribe, bribe American congresspeople with tickets to baseball games.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the late 80s was, was American cinema's golden age of Japanophobia. Yep. <laughs> I mean, if you look at, like, Die Hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like, John, John McClane's whole, you know, irritation was that his wife got a
3: good job with a Japanese, Japanese company. company. Yeah. yeah. Black
2: Rain, which is a few years
3: Wasn't later. Wasn't there a, a huge uh, economic... Bubble that collapsed in the early '90s in Japan. Uh, I, I seem to remember uh, yes. being aware of that, oh, in like '94. The last decade. Yeah, yeah, a little yeah. bit
1: later in the decade. But, but yeah, but at, at that point yeah, in time, they Japan, were Japan was economic. Yeah, they were economically
2: essential. Yeah, this is the this is yeah. the bubble pre pre. it, it yeah. was all yeah, no, you know that's what it, I was
1: building. Pa- parents were telling their kids, "You got to learn Japanese because that's what everyone's going to be speaking in 20 years." And it, it was, it was a very <laughs> nope didn't happen. Uh, but it, it was a it was a very Sort of strange cultural moment that, you know, again, played to sort of that classic yer- yellow peril fear. And I think this film. Would-
2: I'm glad we don't have that yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody feels that way about any
1: countries in Asia right now. <laughs>
3: um, Watch out for next ra- year's film, The Wrath of Fu Manchu. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. Punisher 2, Fu Manchu's. Um, <laughs>
0: When you you said Fu-Man-Jews, I heard Uh
1: Fu-Man-Jews. Punisher too, Fu-Man-Jews. Starring Jackie Mason. What am I doing here? Why am I being punished? I don't know. And for this, I left
0: Shanghai.
2: From Shanghai.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. recompose <laughs> Yeah. Um. But no, there, there's sort of can the Can we call it Shanghai thing.
2: Holidays? <laughs> Sorry. Go on.
1: We can call it anything you want. <laughs> <laughs> you I'm, get I'm struggling. Go all on. right. All right. <laughs> Deep breath. No more Jackie Mason presents for <laughs> no you, Barry. Jack- don't <laughs> keep, keep a lid on your Jackie Mason. Um, <laughs> that's
2: yeah. a euphemism.
1: What? So, <laughs> but again, our, our last Marvel film, Howard the Duck, we had the bizarre uh, Japanese, the Kamikaze truck stop. And in this one, we've got sort of the, the very prominent uh, Japanese subtext. I will be interested to see when we watch Captain America next, uh, for our next film. We'll, we'll get to that <laughs> a little bit later. Uh, will the Red Skull, in fact, be Japanese?
3: Have you, have you uh, not seen that version of Captain America? I, I, have, I have not seen it. Oh, I, I used to watch it on either. TV all the time. Um, yeah, save, was... save,
1: that, save your affection for the next one.
3: Okay. <laughs> So, um,
1: and, and also again on the, the Japanese note, I found it very strange in the climax. Well, f- first of all, we established this wonderful ninja squad. The ninja squad gets killed in about fifteen seconds.
2: Like that, yeah. Can we talk yeah, about the? They, can we talk about that much scene? Of a yes, because that's my favorite scene. <laughs> we in the can movie. talk about that scene.
1: Go, go ahead.
0: All right. So Winter the
2: yakuza, <laughs> the yakuza ambushes uh, Frank Castle, and they do that in, like, an indoor carnival. Oh, no, this is earlier. Okay. This, this is, like, a, the Cody Island oh, okay. scene. Let's do the Cody Island scene. Then we'll I'm do the is. This yeah, is my probably. favorite scene in the okay. movie. Because what happens in this indoor carnival place that Frank is, for reasons that either aren't explained or I don't remember, um, there is one of those, like, giant slides that you get in, like, a burlap sack and you slide mm. down. You know those yeah. slides? Yeah. Yes. And... This is how he is attacked by the Yakuza ninjas. They uh-huh. all start sliding down <laughs> that slide unmasked at him. It's an amazing uh, moment. It's, it's very important to how they slide he down though, because they're all doing.
3: They are all doing, <laughs> are all doing rock star power slides. They look like <laughs> yeah, Bruce Springsteen. They're catching yeah. air. They're all knees first. Have you ever going down Have there. you ever tried to do a power slide on your knees? It's it it extremely painful. You get really so much friction not- so quickly. Your knees feel like they are on fire. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes.
2: Although I have to imagine a slide like that's, you know, pretty, you know, slick, It's conducive to Rockstar no. Power slides. It's going, to, it's going to be easier than just doing it in a normal situation. But yes, it's very impressive. And is that, is that the scene or is it a later scene where uh, there's about a minute straight of, uh, of Frank shooting his gun?
3: That's an, uh, that's an
1: earlier scene when Frank Wait. ambushes, uh, or breaks Wait. into the, the club with oddly, like, bodybuilder oh, yes. strippers.
2: Yes. Because yeah. yes. oh, the entire that part. time he's doing that, he's making a duck face. <laughs> like, he's making that, like, pouty thing. Uh, he's oh.
3: It's It's very yeah. important that he is shooting only slot machines in that scene. He is firing that gun constantly, <laughs> yes. and not one person is shot. There are a couple people who are blown up somehow, and they're shown (laughs) flying through the air, but everyone else is taking cover and running. And there are bullet holes coming out of the slot machines and the poker tables, but not one person that I saw. So uh, uh, this film is constantly... Dude, dude, it's very important to know, slot machines are extremely explosive.
2: (laughs) This is just common knowledge. Everyone knows that. I'm pretty sure that
3: you can see the grenade launcher on his assault rifle, but I don't recall him ever firing it, but it looked like there were grenades going off.
1: Several times in this nope, film, nope, we, just we have moments where expectations are set up and then dashed. When, when Frank was dropping into the, slop, the, uh, the club and start shooting it up, we had been treated to shots beforehand of, like, bodybuilder women working as strippers. The obvious setup was for this to be like a Diamonds Are Forever type fight scene where the bodybuilder strippers take on Frank in, like, a knife fight. Doesn't happen just an odd bit of texturing in the background fleshing out the world i guess um before before we get too far into this
0: um it might be worth uh talking about how this this film uh was made entirely in australia (laughs) i wish you
1: would have mentioned that an hour ago because we are an hour into
0: (laughs) this recording (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, so, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's just yeah. shooting the sh- it's, uh, yeah, when you were saying uh, an unidentified city, it's Sydney. Oh, yeah,
1: it's, uh, that Sydney explains, that explains in. London's thick Australian accent. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's, what, what was the, uh, what was, Ozploitation, it's an Ozploitation film.
0: <laughs>
3: it's an
1: Ozploitation
3: film, yes. Oh, uh, before we get too far from the club scene, I, I just want to point out, I feel like the Punisher is usually fairly stealthy in his, his setup. Like, <laughs> he comes there. at a situation in a way that normally, you know, he's hiding up on top of the building, he's observing mm-hmm. how people are moving, he, he sneaks in, uh, in. In this scene, he comes through the skylight, guns blazing, into the center of a room so that he has to turn <laughs> in 360 degrees to shoot everyone around him. <laughs>
1: Which he doesn't. He misses everyone, <laughs> yes. but kills every slot machine. He's and a terrible seeing, Punisher.
3: I don't. Re- there may have been guards firing at him, but I don't remember them. All I remember the the reactions being were people running from him, which seems insane. <laughs> yeah. Well, would you run toward him? <laughs>
2: that scene. What that scene strangely reminded me of was face off. the The architecture of that of that bizarre casino. Is exactly like where the uh not the climax but like the pre climax of face off happens like where like all of the all of the, the, the terrorists yeah where all the terrorists best friends druggies hang out, and then there's the big clash mm-hmm. and there's like people crashing through skylights. Oh, I felt yeah. like the architecture set design of the casino was exactly like that part of face off hmm. okay.
1: So we, we've gone down a little bit of, we've, we've jumped back two major fight scenes, so we've got the club. If we pull out to that, then we have the Coney Island scene <laughs> with the uh, Yakuza on the slides. And then if we, we go back to what we were, what got us on the show was the climax of the film, when Frank and uh, Franco have teamed up to rescue little Franco, and they, uh, well, okay, so I, I think his name was Tommy. It was Tommy. I do have to bring us back Tommy. to, we, we need to talk about the kids for the moment for a moment. Oh, and the yes, reason course, we need yes. to talk about the kids the are, yeah, f- first of all, the, okay, so all of the mobster's kids are kidnapped by the Yakuza and are going to be sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frank breaks them all out except for Tommy. He fails to get Tommy. And there is a scene where Frank is running through where the kids are being kidnapped and the kids are with him and kind of fighting with
3: him. <laughs>
1: like, it, it's it's his child army. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> And Doesn't it, everyone who, who has, fights
3: from the sewers have a child army?
1: And I, I was thinking to myself, <laughs> I really want to see that film. I want to see, like, the kid army living up to Frank's legacy. Have
3: you and ever read I, about the children's crusade? would be amazing. I
1: think, we, I think we, we could call it the Punishlings.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the Punishlings. While we're on the topic of the whole scheme to kidnap the children and sell them into slavery, uh, you were talking about how sort of the disposability of... Uh, of the gangsters. Yeah. And there's a fantastic scene where the gangsters, the gangsters have agreed to pay to get their kids back, which they're going to get double-crossed. No matter what they pay, they're still getting sold into slavery because why the hell yeah. not? Uh-huh. But there's this great scene where all the gangsters, with the exception of Franco, are there like waiting for the Yakuza to show up. Oh. And, uh, and they're drinking champagne and they end up being poisoned. But the best part about this is one of the, one of the guys stands up to the Yakuza just, and the mute American henchwoman takes off her earrings and throws them at this guy yes. and crucifies him. Literally yes. crucifies yes. him put these spiky earrings through his hands, pinned to the wall mm-hmm. with, her, with her earrings, which do come mm-hmm. up later at the very mm-hmm. climax, the last fight with them. Those earrings do play a role. Again.
1: I, I love that and I also love that when the double cross happens... Uh, The way it happens is uh, the Yakuza bosses walk in. They, for all intents and purposes, say, This is a double cross. And then everyone in the restaurant, which consists mostly of, like, middle-aged people who, late middle-aged people who kind of look like Martin Maul and Betty White, Yes. jump
0: to
2: their feet and pull that is, guns. That is a perfect description for the client, yeah. so. <laughs> Yes, that's, that's who's in this restaurant. They specialize
1: in serving <laughs> Martin Malls.
2: Um, stand up uh, and all
1: pull their guns. Yes. which are But for, from a yes. dramatic perspective in the film, all of the guns have silencers on them, and there is no <laughs> dramatic sting of music or interesting cuts, so it proceeds exactly like this. This is a double cross. People stand up in an orderly fashion, hold out their guns, and it sounds like
3: interesting pounding, heart racing. Because, because there is a very distinct cut from the uh, the gangsters in the back being shot to now. I can't remember exactly what she looked like, but I just remember a woman with a female employee with a gun. Uh, shooting like, and her her face being extremely intense.
1: <laughs> oh my god!
2: But but they also poisoned them, right? So there was mm-hmm. no no need yeah. to uh, shoot them. Then the that. poison the, the, was
3: on the glasses.
1: <laughs> yeah, not yes. in the champagne. The champagne, no the glasses.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, that yeah. that is
2: Lady Janaka's line. Very ominously, very mm-hmm. dragon lady. Yeah. Yellow apparel thing. Yes.
3: Uh, what, is, what is the line that she she delivers when she uh, she shoots him? Or she shoots the final gangster with, like, his own gun or that enormous revolver? And she shoots puts him it in his poorly, mouth, by the way.
1: She she blinks and twitches, like, really badly when she shoots <laughs> the gun. Like, it's the first time the actress has ever held a gun.
3: Yeah. Uh, but there's oh, some what did, what did she say? Him line him? that she delivers. I can't remember. Uh, anyway... Mm. I forget it.
1: Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so we, we have to go back to the climax and talk about, first of all, all of the ninjas that we mm-hmm. have established as being horrible killing machines yeah. uh, are shot dead in about 15 seconds.
3: In the Boxer Rebellion. Yeah, they're all
1: just... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're,
2: literally, <laughs> like, they're literally like the elevator opens and they're all just standing there <laughs> milling mulling about with, with katanas Sit. and Frank and Franco just mow all of them down. Yep. Like, two of them aren't immediately killed, and Frank dispatches them with them within a minute. Yeah.
1: And then there's sort of a drawn-out sequence where Frank and Franco are walking through uh, the Yakuza layer and occasionally getting attacked. And Frank has to uh, to kill
2: the Yakuza lair who which seems to be entirely composed of red light bulbs and paper screens. Yeah.
3: Well the, the the red lights are the emergency lights after Shake finally pushes the button when it falls through the grate.
1: Okay, so we we, we oh, have to yes. talk about that for a minute. We've
0: because because oh yes, Shake
1: Because okay, so Shake Shake's job here. Shake <laughs> is supposed to Turn on, he's supposed to activate the emergency systems to shut out the lights and do all that. And then if things go wrong, he is supposed to blow things up. His job consists of sitting, like, away from the action with a remote and pressing two buttons when a timer tells him to. At no point is Shake confronted by anyone, approached by anyone, or involved in the activity. While sitting by himself... Left with the responsibility of fulfilling this crucial function. He
3: just drops the remote down a grate. Doesn't he knock it over? I think he sits he sits down and knocks it backwards. Yeah. He he
1: he endangers the plan purely by his own incompetence. Which is predictable. So, so he
2: spends the rest of, he spends the rest of the movie with one of the Punisher stiletto knives like trying to poke down there and stab the remote mm-hmm. with with the knife to uh, trigger the uh, trigger the uh, button Well, well you self centered unreliable yeah. well, actor doesn't he shoot the second he button He shoots though? the second button cuz that's how you press second second yes. button
1: that, That's like I mean, <laughs> the like shooting the switch on the television set <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, It's it's oh my god It's <laughs> amazing You see there's the, the thing about that whole
0: sequence, though, is that it's genuinely funny. I think. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. like it's it, it's not
2: just it, it's like the,
0: the shake incompetence is solid has been comedy,
2: comic relief.
0: His incompetence is completely motivated by his character, and yeah. so where in a lesser film this might be seen as some sort of plot contrivance, here, even though it is a plot contrivance, here we completely believe it because it's Barry Otto being well, shake.
1: But it's it's like. I feel like that's... The the setup of that is it's supposed to be comedic and it's supposed to raise tension because you're like, oh, is he going to be able to, to fulfill his function? But mm-hmm. in practice, because of how unmotivated it is by any action occurring around him, it's just him <laughs> sitting there screwing up. it's It's <laughs> like... The saddest thing it's I've ever seen funnier. in my life. It, it's a man, a man failing at the one responsibility anyone saw fit to give him at this point in life, and then desperately trying to fix the problem by stabbing at it with someone else's knife.
2: That is a good summation. Yeah, it's not, it's not like an explosion went off and startled him and he dropped, yeah. the, uh, dropped the remote. He's literally just sitting there well, looking at a, looking at a stopwatch waiting for time to run out.
3: Look at, the, look at the character that they've built, though. He's, he's a clearly intelligent, uh, probably not talented, but, you know, he's, mm-hmm. he's an intelligent person. An actor who is, is not completely out of his mind, like a lot of homeless people are, but is, is so mm-hmm. drunk that he is living on the street, and his only friend is the Punisher. So,
1: he's <laughs> obviously a <girl>, screw <laughs>
3: Everything we should not have I think.
4: i
1: Um... Oh my god. Although,
2: to be fair, he's a dude who talks in iambic pentameter just in everyday life. That might be a sign of mental illness. (laughs) But my point
3: is that there is nothing about him to indicate that he is competent in any fashion.
2: (laughs) No. And yet he is trusted
1: with this crucial responsibility. Well, there's no one else.
3: (laughs) What what if the goons
1: could have done it? Although, (laughs) given how poorly they handled uh, Berkowitz's escape, they probably would have seen similar results. Yeah.
0: The other thing I love about uh, Shake's character is, is, is that, I mean, presumably, Oh, this film is set contemporarily, right? I mean, it's supposed to be set in, in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but Shake, I mean, he's not just any like out of work, drunk hobo actor. He's a Shakespearean actor. Yeah, I just actor. realized before you but said that, Shakespearean- that that's where his
3: name comes from. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yep, that's where the name comes yeah. from. <laughs> yeah, I just got that, like... As <laughs> about a paragraph ago. Yes. It's, a very,
2: it's a very Dickensian kind of a uh, character. You, you That's would what I mean. A period like, piece.
0: Like he's not he's not even like an '80s Shakespearean actor. He's a Shakespearean actor from Victorian
1: <laughs> yeah. times, right?
0: I mean, he's a Shakespearean actor that would appear
2: in a Charles Dickens novel.
0: Like he's just so ludicrously anachronistic.
2: I love uh, he's, he's great. He's, He's the goddamn doppelganger from uh, from the Prestige. yes that's the yes he is He's He's exactly right. Exactly right. yeah 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 he yeah. 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 he
1: he is the best character <laughs> in the film
3: oh absolutely <laughs> hands down oh my god
2: we're, we're, we're ragging on I don't on, know what uh, about that kid right who didn't
3: he... know that his father was a mobster
2: my dad's not a gangster <laughs> and and, and he, that, uh,
1: also incidentally that kid is wearing the worst blazer I've ever seen in my life um. <laughs> He's Australian. Does Shake exist in the
2: comics? Uh, is he a
1: real? Is he a real character? Not to my knowledge. No, they, there it. are not a lot of recurring Punisher there is
2: no, characters. There is no. There is no justice in this world. that Shake is not the recurring uh, ally, homeless ally of the Punisher. Uh, I I don't I don't know who was in charge of Marvel at that time. But if they didn't go, obviously we need to in- integrate this character into it, the Punisher. It could have been their Harley Quinn. What the fuck? Exactly. Well, it's not
1: too late. There are a couple more things that I want to talk about, and then we can kind of speed toward the, uh, our final analysis of the film. I did want to mention, uh, again, playing into the yellow peril thing, Lady Tanaka is inexplicably dressed as a geisha for the final fight.
2: It's a bit more kabuki makeup, I felt. But Fair yes, enough. there's definitely... She's weirdly, like, while well, she's threatening mm-hmm. to slit the throat of the child... Uh, yeah, she's in this, like, insane geisha kabuki makeup my, for, no, for no apparent My reason.
1: only possible explanation was the producers looked again at Batman and said, Hey, the Joker's a clown. Our final lady should be a clown, too. That's the only, conject- <laughs> like, possible explanation I can think of for why, why, after not establishing this at any point in the film, is she suddenly in chalk makeup.
2: I think it's because she's Japanese. And that, that's I think, so that's I, what all the Japanese do, Nick? In in, in the insane well, logic of 80s yellow peril action movies, yes.
3: That is what Japanese But when you're do. orientalizing them, yes.
2: Yes. <laughs> and let's be honest, there's a lot of orientalizing going on in this movie. Uh,
3: just a little. It's true. Um, Scuba Ninjas. Scuba Ninjas. Scuba Ninjas. Also, what were those spiked balls that they were throwing that looked like depth charges or some kind of explosive, but but just stuck into the, yes. the uh, bad guys' faces?
1: They're the traditional
3: Japanese yep. exploding ninja spike throwing bombs. But they didn't explode; they were just covered in spikes.
2: <laughs> yeah, they were like they were like black rubber balls covered in uh, covered in spikes. Yeah. It was like let's have a th- let's make a 3D throwing star. I think was essentially the logic yeah. of that. Like, ninjas have throwing stars. Nah, boring. Yeah. So let's make a
3: black rubber ball. <laughs> Cover it in nails. It, it does seem more appropriate for a scuba ninja because it really looks like a death charge.
2: You see, there's thematic consistency. Yeah. It's, it's, this is what I'm talking about. There's There are some good <laughs> things around the periphery of this movie. Mm.
1: Just Just not at its big, beefy Scandinavian center.
2: As I said at yep. the beginning, I'm not saying this is a successful movie, but I, I do think that there are things about this movie that I do inherently like, certainly far more than I liked in Howard the Duck. <laughs> well,
1: that, that, that's, a, uh, I think, a good segue into our sort of final, final analysis of the film. So again, we, we begin by saying we're trying to establish how this succeeds or fails as an adaptation, as a production and an enterprise you know a a commercial enterprise and as a standalone piece of art so let's just do the uh do the round table how do you gentlemen feel it fares as an adaptation
0: i can't really speak to uh the adaptation question Mm -hmm. since i'm you know i never really read the punisher comics Mm -hmm. um you know i think the 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 important takeaway here is that, that i mean this is really before you know Burton's batman i mean the production you know is no. like as much as it's tinged with that film mm-hmm. it, you know it it had a sort of similar approach and so you sort of have to you know commend the film for adapting it the way that they did just because it was still sort of uncharted territory at that mm-hmm.
2: Dude? Yeah, I also oh, can't really speak to uh, speak to it as an adaptation. I mean I think the I believe the Punisher showed up in the Spider Man animated series,
3: yes, if he I remember did. correctly. I
2: yeah. Uh and otherwise really the only other thing I know him from is Punisher kills the Marvel Universe and the fact that every comic book shop in the world sells that T shirt with <laughs> his skull on it. And again, we go circling back to the idea that this is the only thing that's important about the character. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah. As I said earlier, I just think I think in terms of sort of a mid-grade 80s action movie, it does enough things right for me to forgive the
3: things it does wrong. I Douche. I, I actually, my experience with The Punisher <clears throat> sort of directly uh, is, yeah, from the Spider-Man animated film, Punisher Kills the Marvel Universe, and mm-hmm. uh, from the, the John Travolta, Tom Jane movie. But I, I've also, mm-hmm. I've been aware of the character for a very long time, and as I recall, like back in the the '90s, uh, before I started seeing Batman or Superman T-shirts regularly, the only superhero shirt that I saw of any kind was the Punisher shirt. Uh, huh. So I, I certainly consider his shirt to be like the most iconic. But uh, disregarding the the lack of that in the film, uh, I felt like the movie was fairly true to the character, especially given that. Uh, as Derek said, I can't really see this as a movie where they were trying to make a comic book adaptation because they clearly weren't. They were just trying to make a low budget '80s mm-hmm. or not '80s because they weren't thinking of themselves in that way, but a low budget action film. And that's why I feel that that Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren was probably cast because he was recognizable enough and he was clearly like built as a, an action movie star. Uh, and mm-hmm. you don't need you know fantastic. Uh, acting ability, you just need line delivery uh, for an action movie star. But, uh, so I felt it worked fairly well as an adaptation and mm-hmm. as just a, a trashy action movie. Uh, the the yeah.
1: Sort of the parallel adaptation that I came back to a couple times over the course of this was not a comic book adaptation, but actually a video game adaptation, the, the first Mortal Kombat film. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason that I came back to that is what the crew here with the Punisher basically did is they took the core elements of the character mm-hmm. and placed him into a recognizable template of a film. The first Mortal Kombat film did basically the same thing. It took the core elements of its property you know, the characters in the basic scenario, and essentially plug them into a fairly by-the-numbers Enter the Dragon adaptation. Huh. Okay. The you know, disadvantage of that in terms of adaptation is you're losing some of the things that you would expect from the character itself. Like, there's no skull t-shirt. There's not sort of recognizable Punisher elements in there. But if the core, the core of the character is intact, And placed into a more medium appropriate or medium uh, established within a medium context. I think that that makes this stand up as an adaptation a little bit more strongly than if they had just like tried to be extremely loyal to the comics. Because they were thinking of it as a how do we put this idea into this context. And I think, again, to your point, Derek, at a point where this had not been done a lot, where comic book films were not something that we really knew how to do yet, that may have been the right approach to it. As a film... Well, we're still... sorry. As a film, um, I don't know. It was fairly paint-by-numbers. There were a couple of enjoyable things about it. I'm gonna. I may regret saying this later. I actually enjoyed Howard the Duck more. What? And and the the reason for that? You crazy? The reason for that is, although Howard the Duck is undeniably a worse film, in really every conceivable way,
2: it does have a better. uh, It has a better theme song. I think we can both agree. And and it, it
1: has. It has some energy. It was like a lot of people trying really hard to do something mm-hmm. and failing miserably. And the Punisher felt like a lot of people kind of trying to do something and sort of missing the mark. And I'll take a spectacular failure over like a pseudo-mediocre accomplishment any day. Uh, I'm not <laughs> yeah. volunteering to watch yeah. Howard the Duck again, but <laughs> I had more fun watching Howard the Duck.
2: I will, def- I will definitely be watching this movie before I watch Howard the Duck again. I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to go out and watch it regularly or anything, but yeah. if if sometime well, a year from now somebody goes, hey, you want to watch Punisher? And I was like, yeah, All sure. right. Well,
0: I will say I... that,
2: like, the,
0: the Goldblatt, the director, I mean, because he's an editor, I mean, basically his job is to save films. Like, yeah. he's, he's sort of saved, however, you know, however successful you want to say that happened um lots of, you know, just sort of train wrecks of films. Mm-hmm. Um and made them into something a little more kind of manageable. Um and while he didn't like directly edit this film, I mean he definitely had, you know, editing control over it. I mean he, mm-hmm. he said he did and at some points he you know exercised that, you know, as in like cutting out the 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 whole backstory. Mm-hmm. So I think like just viewed in terms of like the craft of making a movie, um it seems like sort of a cop out to say this could have been a lot worse, but it could have been like this movie could have been a lot worse. <laughs> I absolutely believe um, that, and yeah, I think for I oh, think yeah. for what it is, it's it's pretty successful yeah. actually for a low budget B eighties action film. I you know yeah. I you know I think I think you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah.
3: I. I have to say that in comparison to Howard the Duck, I feel like Howard the Duck. Um, uh, I am probably more likely to watch again. Because it is – I got the sense from it that it's it's sort of akin to The Room in that it is so bad that the more that I watch it, the more I will enjoy it. Because I will be getting exponentially more joy out of the badness of it. And mm-hmm. I've watched bad movies before and hated them. But that – I mean The Room. It was miserable the first time. But the second time, I was laughing the entire way through it. And I really <laughs> feel like that's the same experience I'm going to have with Howard the Duck. Because it's – I don't know how to put this, but uh there's just a lot about it that is so absurdly bad that it it didn't like i don't know how to put it I, I didn't feel offended by its badness. I just felt like ashamed for the people who embarrassed for the people who made it.
4: <laughs> mm-hmm. I think well, the part
0: part of it part of it also is like your expectations going into a film. I mean, a film like The Room or Howard the Duck. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've never seen it before, <clears throat> chances are you've heard about it at some point. Yeah, and so yeah. you kind of set your expectations low. And I think what maybe mm-hmm. makes Howard the Duck successful in that regard is that you have low expectations for it, and the film actually. <laughs> surpasses Underworld. or underpasses <laughs> underwhelms underpasses. beyond your beyond your greatest lack of expectation um, very true you know in, in a in a way that is that is pleasurable that's enjoyable and here i guess i just had really low expectations for the punisher yeah. um and the the film surpassed them like the film and i was like you know what yeah i agree that, that, that was my so
2: and on the and on the topic of the room we took you to see a <laughs> like a screening of it with like fans calling yes. out crap. Not this the is not that was a mistake. Idea. That was not. That was a mistake. That was not how you should have watched the movie the uh, that way. I, but then, as I recall, immediately afterwards or later that night, we watched yeah. it again and
3: you enjoyed it. If yes. I remember oh, correctly. Oh yeah, they were within the well, same so. day. Yeah. Uh, this we is should interesting. Not, we should not have taken you to a screening. But for But I first cannot imagine any scenario in which I would have enjoyed it the first time. Uh, I think
2: the the screening didn't help because you weren't even even able to like appreciate Mm. how bad the lines were because everyone was yelling over it or throwing spoons and crap. (laughs) This is actually really interesting because like
0: before maybe 2007, 2008 or something, I mean, the room was really, really cult. I mean, it was really only known in in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm, And so you could actually like go to a screening and it, and, it be comprised of people who are actually seeing it for the first time just because they'd heard about it from word of mouth or whatever. Nowadays, if you go to a room screening, it's going to be full of people who like absolutely know the film in and out and have their whole series of riffs and they're going to be like screaming at the screen Mm -hmm. the whole time. And yeah, the first time you watch the room, you actually have to try and watch it seriously because the dialogue yeah. in itself like is bad and funny and unless you understand <laughs> that unless you have a context in which people are not screaming over it the entire time you're actually going to miss yeah. out it's because um, only, you know like, only,
1: only through an attempt to genuinely understand can we fail to understand and thus spiral into madness <laughs> yeah i feel like you
4: have to yeah, you have to meet be a film
3: in film context yeah. in which it was made. <laughs> uh.
1: um, if you yeah. meet a film on the road, kill it, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I,
2: had one, I had one point. just yes. um, In everybody's sort of summation, it seemed like all of us or most of us brought up uh, the logo again, mm-hmm. the, the symbol. I was just thinking, uh, I certainly wanted to see it more, but I don't necessarily mean that he needs to be like wearing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Just that it was acknowledged in some way like if it had just like been like painted on the side of his motorcycle for instance yeah. it's on his dagger I think that but that's the daggers subtle. a small little thing, and that just looks like a, a like a Nazi dagger that just yeah. seems like something I would expect an SS officer to be mm-hmm. uh, to be using it doesn't seem that iconic mm-hmm. so I mean I understand him he doesn't need to be in like the all black jumpsuit with the, uh, with the 90s uh, pouches belt uh, like he is in the comics mm-hmm. uh, obviously that's a ridiculous look. I don't necessarily mean you need to like have it painted on his shirt at all times, but just, well, don't, don't. just for that to somewhere somewhere be in the motif of him, like he's got mm-hmm. it painted on his wall in his sewer there or it's on it's on the uh, gas engine of his bike or something.
1: Don't worry, in future adaptations, we'll see the entirety of that ridiculous look.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: I just find it really interesting, like that yeah, I mean we're all we're all sort of latching on to the the skull of the t-shirt and you know the people who I was at the screening with did that mm-hmm. as well. Um and now, I mean, it, it's it's interesting because now we consider that, like, part of the logic of it's franchise the and superhero yeah. film, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the brand. Whereas in 1989, <laughs> like, who knows who the Punisher yeah. is, right? Outside of, like, hardcore fans. There's no idea that you can actually make a brand out of the Punisher. Mm-hmm. I mean, true, they sell, like, you know, they, they sold Punisher t-shirts yeah. in, in comic book stores. But it was still a really uh, niche market then. Mm-hmm. And now that, like, comic book and superhero films are, like, the biggest business yeah. in cinema, like, <laughs> that becomes part of the visual logic of how you actually, yeah. like, make a superhero film is you have to have the, you know, whatever iconic symbol yeah. is associated with with your character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not, only, not only for the fans, but also as a brand that you can use to, like, to merchandise, to spread this, just this very yeah. idea of, hey, there's this character, the Punisher, um, you know, and it works. Like, that was basically the only thing I knew about the punishment. And, and that
1: was, I mean, that was sort of the basis of the marketing campaign for Burton's Batman. I mean, you mm-hmm. had everywhere that you looked during that period of time, the bat symbol was there. And that was mm-hmm. used to sell the film. I remember seeing VHS copies of, the, of uh, the film when I was a kid. And there would be no title, no description, just the bat logo. Yeah, it's just a blind
2: Before Batman Begins came out, there were a bunch of different pitches for uh, Batman reboots. I think it was Aronofsky's was the one where Batman yeah. at no point actually is in the Batsuit. Yeah. And that mm. seems heretical, the idea that you wouldn't put them in it at some point.
1: So I, I find it interesting I, that these these two films being made at the same time, Burton so strongly embraced the branding aspect of it and mm-hmm. and The Punisher did not. Not that that was the difference in the performance between the two films, but it's an interesting approach to Oh, to the I idea. think I think because you'll find that con- it is.
2: I think you'll find that it is. If he was wearing that yeah. shirt, we'd all be talking about The Punisher now. No one would yeah. know who Batman exactly. is. Well, it was because
0: really- it was because Burton's Batman, I mean, they had a conscious franchising strategy yeah. for that film, right? I mean, they brought Prince on mm-hmm. board to do, you know, that album yeah. with a bat dance. Oh, yeah. um, you know, the, uh, I mean, that, that film was made from the get-go to be franchised, mm-hmm. to be, you know, merchandised. Whereas, it, you know, this B action film, yeah. like, they were probably just praying that the film would, would make a profit.
1: They were praying yeah. that the film would be released, and it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and it wasn't.
3: <laughs> I actually enjoyed the fact that the, that the logo wasn't in it because it seemed like mm. it wasn't a failure. It was a consci- as you said, Derek, a conscious choice to move into a more realistic world, where a, a person who's doing this, uh, you know, who's actually trying to take revenge for their family, he wouldn't be walking around in a in a shirt that would identify him to the public. Like he's a criminal. <laughs> he's, he's trying to go <laughs> the he's, 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 he's not going to this on have, his vehicle. He's not going to uh, uh, mark up why his why lair with the,
2: it. Then why have the skull knives? He's clearly because wants he's to leaving to have a calling card,
3: card so that so that in the criminal underworld people will be afraid of him like clearly he's trying to identify the crimes with his his symbol but not himself Uh, that he wants to create that that sense of fear uh, and also to Mm -hmm. identify him to the police or to identify these crimes to the police and say that you know these are not just any other gangland killings these are specific vengeance from one person okay I can buy
2: that um, Anyone ha- speaking of which, like at the very beginning of the film, uh, when I think it's Franco, some mobster is being, uh, is, uh, getting out of jail. And he's like, are you afraid? The reporter is asking him, are you afraid of the uh, Punisher? He's like, I don't believe in the Punisher. And then they immediately cut to a very, very ominous guy on a black motorcycle in all black. <laughs> yep. i like, this is not a stealthy way to be going nope. about following mobsters. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every mobster in the city would be on the lookout for for tough-looking guys in all black at this point. Yeah. After you've killed 125 of them over a five-year period. Uh, also, that is a massive criminal enterprise, 125 mm-hmm. people, and he apparently hasn't gotten to any of, like, the main lieutenants.
1: So in a... You have to uh, imagine he's just really... Ki- other, he's, he, must you know, be some, he must be killing
2: some... He must be... Maybe, but he must be killing some really low rent people mm-hmm. as well. I mean, these can't all just be. There can't have been 125 capos of this of the criminal enterprise. He has to be killing like numbers. Oh, man. he's got to grind and like, to level really, up really up low men, on the on totem. Guys. I. Any, I, I, uh, I any final that, you know, thoughts the on the, the film before we?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. Cut off one head too. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on the film before we uh, uh, before we call it a show? The
0: Punisher would have been great if they got someone else to play the Punisher. Hmm.
1: Who who, I think
0: that's who would be
1: who was your who would be your ideal Punisher for that period of time?
0: Oh God, uh, Eli Wallach.
2: I don't know. Joe
0: Piscopo might uh, might have been an excellent Punisher.
2: I actually really liked your idea of uh, Danny DeVito earlier. I think Danny DeVito would have been an interesting choice.
1: <laughs> Danny DeVito.
2: I'm just imagining Danny DeVito. I'm just imagining Danny DeVito like. Uh, like tun, uh, what's the word? Uh, how do you describe it when uh, fat people walk? <laughs> waddling. Waddling. Yes. Waddling. Thank you. Waddling. <laughs> yes, like waddling along in the way that he yeah. does, <laughs> like with a gun, like uh, mm-hmm. running people down. Just imagine how funny it would be if you had a, a tiny fat man as the uh, protagonist. <laughs> I think.
3: I think. So are you? I think Bruce the Campbell Penguin would, have made, would have made a Bruce Campbell Punisher.
1: would have made a great
2: Punisher.
3: I yes. agree with that. Obviously, obviously yeah. not, a, not obviously not good.
2: a bankable star, then mm. probably not even really now outside of uh, a cult audience. I, I know I know who I'd um, do it with.
1: I know I know who I would cast as. It would be Kurt Russell.
2: Ooh. Yeah. Kurt Russell, Kurt Russell would when do he, it. Again, this is probably uh, I mean, not a he's This already... is not a movie that would have the budget for Kurt Russell. Speaking of Kurt Russell.
3: Yeah, that's true. Uh,
2: the best segue out <laughs> of the context. Speaking of Kurt Russell, I will always be listening. So Go on. on
0: on Monday, uh, the the cinematheque here at the university is is playing uh, Kurt Russell's first film, which is a film that is almost impossible to see. Um, it's a film called Skate Town USA. <laughs> uh, it, it it features an insane disco soundtrack. Um, All your all your favorite '70s TV stars. Insane. Was redundant. uh, Including (laughs) including Ruth Buzzy and Flip Wilson. (laughs) And it is it is a yes, and it is apparently um, a basically a competitive roller skating film. (laughs) Um. Not not like roller derby.
1: Competitive like roller, roller skating. No, like no, roller, roller
0: skating. Like roller dancing. Oh my God. So a like competitive dance on roller skates. Um, so like I, Hal from Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, <laughs> pretty um, uh, If I, I don't know if it's so at it's, all possible to see this um, in any kind of legal format. Probably not. Apparently, like, the, the licensing for all the songs in the film is astronomical. And the uh, studio yeah, just doesn't be want to... Um, but it's worth like checking out if mm-hmm. if there's a screening in your area. Okay. Well, I
2: will keep an eye
0: out that skate town.
1: I'm sure there will
3: be very soon.
1: <laughs> so uh, in a final analysis, the film is uh, not not irredeemable. It it has some good qualities to it. It is hampered mostly by its uh, its casting and maybe a little bit of over reliance on some established tropes. But uh, not terrible. And we may see down the road possibly the most tolerable of the three Punisher films. The three unconnected, starring different Punishers, setting different continuities, Punisher films.
2: Uh,
3: I have not seen any of the Punisher
2: movies, so I I cannot speak to that yet. Well, obviously I've seen this Punisher
3: movie. The Tom Jane Jane and John Travolta one is actually very uh, watchable. I think it's one of the better comic book adaptations uh, Mm. from like at its time period. It did it much better than a lot of other films have.
1: We we will get to that in time. But we'll get to that. For, ne- for now, we are uh, we are going to sign off. Thank you to the assembled panel. Um, do you guys have anything you want to plug any anywhere that people can find you either online or in person?
0: Uh sure, you can uh. follow me on Twitter.
3: Derek Long 08 i'm uh daniel right. watson jones um, is best orb. uh moot uh daniel watson jones is m moved by will alone uh at uh at move by will alone on twitter
2: best orb e e s t o r b the b is for bargaining. thank
1: you so much for saying that <laughs>
2: <laughs> me, let me try the, the extra B bee, the Because there are two yeah. B's in it One of them is,
1: <laughs> both, is for the last name Both B's are for Bargain It's Bargain
2: <laughs> Estor B-B-B-Q, Bargain The extra B is for B-Y-O-B-B <laughs> What's that B for? <laughs> <laughs> That's a
3: typo That's a typo <laughs> uh, Alright so I'm going to stop uh, recording or, But keep uh, Video chatting Yeah g- give me a second to wind down Is man. that what's happening now? This is the wind down. Oh, okay. Sorry. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> nice. Uh, and you can find me at Stefan Claypool, S-T-E-F-A-N-C-L-A-Y-P-O-L, also on Twitter. Uh, join us next time when we, uh, we pull out our American flag underwear and stand up and salute uh, J.D. Salinger's kid playing Captain America <laughs> in the 1990 adaptation Captain America, don't get your hopes up. It's a canon film. (laughs) Yes! Bye. (laughs)